hope, maybe even for us. We need a lot more people raising a ruckus, start making a fuss, start giving up. And get out into the streets and there may be hope. Hello, you're listening to KUBU, Low Power FM Radio in Sacramento. This is The Voice, The Voice of Sacramento. You can find KUB locally at 96.5 on your FM dial, or you can also listen to the station on the internet, accesssacramento.org. This program is The Climate Report, and I'm your host, Dale Steele. We're on weekly at this day and time. The program is brought to you by 350 Sacramento, a local climate action group inspired by 350.org. I'll be your host, and each program will provide you with local, regional, and national news about climate change, as well as local calendar events, interviews, and more. For more details, including past radio programs, or if you have questions or comments, please visit 350sacramento.org. The Climate Report's back. Today, new times call for new measures. In these times, as we head into new climate conditions on Earth, different from those anyone has lived in before, we need a call for courage, not hope now. We'll hear more on that today from a climate scientist. It's also time to call for the declaration of a climate emergency, as others have done recently, including the cities of Oakland, Berkeley, and Richmond. More on that today, too. And how about a way to move forward? Today, I'll introduce the Green New Deal as just that and how you can learn more and help secure it. Music today, I'm going to play some of Gasoline, Gasoline, and some of Alex Smith from Eco Shop's background music. And now, find some shelter and get ready. It's time for the Climate Report. No place like home. This is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. And welcome to episode two of our brand new season. So today we're getting personal with a climate scientist. How does it feel to study this planetary crisis every day, to look right in the face of what we're facing, um, and then pick up your head again and do it the next day. Where do climate scientists find hope and joy? Do they? We're going to hear more about that with the amazing Dr. Kate Marvel. That sounds kind of obvious, like climate change means the planet heats up, right? But we know that it affects so many different things. Um, So, for example, it changes rainfall patterns, how much it rains and where it rains. Um, So I've done a lot of work on trying to understand how climate change is actually affecting rainfall patterns. Um, And there's unfortunately a lot of evidence that we are already changing rainfall patterns globally. It's going to be worse than we think. And that's really upsetting to me. I I work a lot on this question of what does recent warming tell us about long-term warming? Um, So, you know, we have emitted greenhouse gases and the earth has gotten warmer in response to the greenhouse gases. Um, That's sort of uncontrovertible. But what does that tell us about how warm it's eventually going to get? And the thing that is really frightening to me is it seems like the warming that we've experienced so far leads us to underestimate how warm it's going to get in the future. Um, And that's because the future is just so different than anything we've ever experienced before. Like we are 
really heading toward a, a foreign planet, a planet that is, is kind of science fictional that we've never experienced before. And so Marvel, she writes about all this so beautifully and about how things are going to be different for her kid and what that makes, you know, what that kind of means for all of us. You know, one of the ways that I came across her, she wrote this incredibly beautiful essay called We Need Courage, Not Hope in the Face of Climate Change. And I just wanted to read you my favorite passage from that. She wrote, I have no hope that these changes can be reversed. We are inevitably sending our children to live on an unfamiliar planet. But the opposite of hope is not despair. It is grief. Even while resolving to limit the damage, we can mourn. And here, the sheer scale of the problem provides a perverse comfort. We are in this together. The swiftness of the change, its scale and its inevitability, binds us into one. Broken hearts trapped together under a warming atmosphere. We need courage, not hope. Grief, after all, is the cost of being alive. We are all fated to live lives shot through with sadness and are not worth less for it. Courage is the resolve to do well without the assurance of a happy ending. That is so profound, and it's so encompasses, I think, being alive really uh, at any time and the the sort of mortality that underlies every breath we take, um, but especially in the age of climate change. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I asked Kate about it. And when people ask her where she finds hope. People are always, they want to know that everything's going to be okay. And everything's not going to be okay. We've ruled out fine. You know, when we're looking at climate projections, the uncertainties are bad or really bad or catastrophic. And, and I think we need to be honest about that. And, and being honest about that requires that we make space for grieving. And, and I think that's, that's something that's really important. But at the same time, we know what the right thing to do is. You know, have you ever read a book where the hero is like, eh, not going to go on that quest, probably not going to work? You know, like that's not a good story. You know, we admire people. We hold them up as heroes when they do the right thing and without demanding sort of a promise that the ending's going to be happy. And, and I think that's, that's what we need to do. That's not a healthy way to live your life. And that's not for me, a, a good way to live your life. You find happiness in the, the sort of little finite moments you're granted. And the fact that you lose things doesn't make you a bad person. And it doesn't mean that you should give up. Um, it means that you should try your best to live a good and moral life and, and do the right thing. And you shouldn't ever feel bad for enjoying the things that you do have. As we are in the midst of losing a lot of things that we love and care about, to not let that prevent you from experiencing the beautiful things that are right in front of you, that you won't let that cover your eyes up to all the beautiful things that are in front of us every moment. And the fact that we do still have time to make a big difference, to try to carry this work with a certain amount of lightness uh, because you only live once and this is a beautiful world. And uh, I think the world needs us doing this work from a, a place of joy and resilience if we can find it. My 
My name is Melissa Hostetler. I'm the Community-Supported Agriculture Coordinator at Gale Woods Farm, and I live in Minneapolis. I've been there for 14 years, and through that time, I think that growing vegetables has become increasingly difficult. I have felt the impact of that as the grower because I've needed to change the way that I plan my strategies for the season. And there have always been extreme climate events, but now it feels like they just come a lot more often. So this year we had cold, heat, too much rain, not enough rain, hail, all of it in the same year. It's just been one thing after another, and that has been increasingly challenging as the years have gone by. There's a group of 14 to 16-year-olds, usually, who come and work half-time in the garden for 10 weeks of the summer. Part of what's really important to me there is passing along a really positive experience of the outdoors. And I worry that as they see us struggle with growing more vegetables and as being outside becomes less comfortable, that they will not feel the urge to go outside, that it will be easier to be inside, and that if they're not outside falling in love with nature, that they will not feel the urge to protect it. Can an election in Brazil change the world's climate? I'm NPR Chief Meteorologist Paul Hutner. This is ClimateCast. After the election of a new president in Brazil, many scientists are concerned that his intentions for the Amazon rainforest could propel climate change. Emilio Bruna is an ecologist with the University of Florida. The main concern is because one country, Brazil, is responsible for 70 percent of the Amazon forest. And so any decision that's made by Brazil's government is going to have implications that extend far beyond Brazil's borders. It's important to remember that the Amazon forest is responsible for producing a lot of rainfall as well. It's estimated that over 20 percent of the rainfall that falls in the Amazon is generated by the trees themselves. If you cut down trees, not only are you going to be um, increasing all the carbon emissions, you're going to have forests that has a lot less rain in it. So it's going to become dry. Fires are going to spread from nearby agricultural areas. And you get into this negative feedback loop where you have forests drying out, fires getting in, forests continuing to dry out, trees continuing to dry, becoming more susceptible to fires again, and going on into this negative spiral that really has long-term implications. There's a lot of discussion among scientists about whether the Amazon is just on this side of being a carbon sink or just on that side of being a carbon source. But there's no disagreement about the fact that promoting deforestation, increases in deforestation, are going to have really negative effects for the global climate cycle. How will accelerated deforestation affect indigenous peoples in the rainforest? Indigenous reservations are playing a huge role in preventing deforestation. You can see very clearly, if you look at satellite images, the line where the indigenous territory's border is. Because up until that point, you've got lots of deforestation and lots of fragmentation of the rainforest. But past that line, it's continuous forest all the way through. But to me, one of the biggest concerns is actually the potential for an increase of number of attacks on indigenous activists, environmentalists, and even journalists who are covering environmental and human human rights issues in Brazil. Uh, I really fear that those people are going to be emboldened by this president's words and actions and that they're going to act in really violent ways because they know they won't be held accountable for it. Emilio Bruna, ecologist with the University of Florida, thanks for sharing your perspective today. Thank you very much. 
to KUBU, Low Power FM Radio in Sacramento. This is The Voice, The Voice of Sacramento. You can find KUB locally at 96.5 on your FM dial, or you can also listen to the station on the internet, accesssacramento.org. This program is The Climate Report, and I'm your host, Dale Steele. It's also time to call for the declaration of a climate emergency, as others have done recently, including the cities of Oakland, Berkeley, and Richmond. More on that today, too. And how about a way to move forward? Today, I'll introduce the Green New Deal as just that. People are great at rising to the occasion in an emergency, as we're seeing all too often on an increasing basis. If you happen to be there when a fire or flood occurs, chances are you'll pitch in alongside emergency service workers to do whatever's needed. Neighbors help neighbors, and strangers help strangers. Well, we're now in the biggest emergency ever, the climate emergency. Already people are dying and ecosystems are being destroyed. We know what needs to be achieved right now, and we already have the technology to do it, We must face up to the climate facts, go into emergency mode, and throw everything we've got at restoring a safe climate. We know from our experience of full-time wartime mobilizations that amazing economic transformations can be achieved in just a few years when we face an existential threat. So let's demand equally strong leadership and action from our peacetime government in order to protect everything that we love. A climate emergency declaration has been prepared calling to declare a climate emergency. Petitions are available at national, state, and local levels, and a number of governments are adopting those petitions now. You can find more information on this at climateemergencydeclaration.org. 
On October 30th, 2018, the City of Oakland passed a resolution endorsing a declaration of a climate emergency and requesting regional collaboration with an immediate and just transition and emergency mobilization effort to restore a safe climate. Oakland's following in the footsteps of Berkeley and Richmond, becoming the third California city to declare a climate emergency and launch an emergency speed mobilization. Other cities and states around the world are taking similar action. The Oakland City Council voted unanimously to pass this resolution, marking a growing movement of cities treating global warming like the emergency it is. That means that the city will rapidly reduce greenhouse gas emissions and seek to reach zero net emissions at emergency speed and create plans to protect residents and especially frontline communities from worsening climate disasters and work with local cities, counties, and public agencies around the San Francisco Bay Area to bring them into a rapid just transition mobilization as well. Oakland's resolution combines the need to stop climate change in its tracks with a commitment to social justice, calling for a rapid just transition from an extractive, destructive, and racist economy towards equitable, regenerative, and local living economies that uphold human rights and the Earth's support systems. You can read this resolution at oakland.legistar.com. That's oakland.legistar.com. Now, other American cities are gearing up. The city of Los Angeles is also getting ready to declare an equitable emergency response to global warming as it considers a mobilization from one of its council members to create a climate emergency mobilization department. And Hoboken, New Jersey, and Montgomery County, Maryland have also passed similar climate emergency declarations recently. Climate Mobilization is a national organization devoted to launching an emergency mobilization to restore a safe climate. They ask institutions and communities to respond to climate change and ecological destruction as an emergency, demanding that the only response that makes sense, that's a massive, just mobilization to protect humanity and the natural world. Find out more from them at theclimatemobilization.org. I want to give you some background information on Green New Deal. This information comes from the Green Party of the United States. You can get more information at gpus.org. So the Green New Deal is a four-part program for moving America quickly out of a crisis and into a secure, sustainable future. It's inspired by the New Deal programs that helped us out of the Great Depression in the 1930s. The New Green Deal will provide similar relief and create an economy that makes our community sustainable, healthy, and just. There are four pillars of the Green New Deal. The first one is the Economic Bill of Rights. Our country cannot truly move forward until the roots of inequality are pulled up and the seeds of a new, healthier economy are planted. So the Green New Deal begins with an economic bill of rights that ensures all citizens the right to employment through a full employment program that will create 25 million jobs by implementing a nationally funded but locally controlled direct employment initiative, replacing unemployment offices with local employment offices, offering public sector jobs. Also 
calls for worker rights, including the right to a living wage, to a safe workplace, to fair trade, and to organize a union at work without fear of firing or reprisal. Calls for the right to quality health care, which will be achieved through a single-payer Medicare for All program, and the right to tuition-free quality, federally funded, locally controlled public education system from preschool through college. Also, the right to a decent affordable housing, including an immediate halt to all foreclosures and eviction. The right to accessible and affordable utilities, heat, electricity, phone, internet, and public transportation through democratically run and publicly owned utilities that operate at cost, not for profit. And then the right to fair taxation that is distributed in proportion to the ability to pay. The second pillar is a green transition. The second priority of the Green New Deal is a green transition program that will convert the old gray economy into a new sustainable economy that is environmentally sound, economically viable, and socially responsible. That includes investing in green businesses by providing grants and low-interest loans to grow green businesses and cooperatives. Also, to prioritize green research by redirecting research funds from fossil fuels and other dead-end industries towards research in wind, solar, and geothermal and then provide green jobs by enacting the full employment program, which will directly provide 16 million jobs in sustainable energy and energy efficiency retrofitting, mass transit, and complete streets. The third pillar is real financial reform. The takeover of our economy by big banks and well-connected financiers has destabilized both our democracy and our economy. It's time to take Wall Street out of the driver's seat and to free the truly productive segments of working America to make this economy work for all of us. The real financial reform will relieve the debt overhang holding back the economy by reducing homeowner and student debt burdens, democratize monetary policy to bring about public control of the money supply and credit creation, to break up the oversized banks that are too big to fail, to end taxpayer-funded bailouts for banks, insurers, and other financial companies, regulate all financial derivatives and require them to be traded in open exchanges, establish a 90% tax on bonuses for bailed-out bankers, Support the formation of federal, state, and municipal public-owned banks that function as nonprofit utilities. So under the Green New Deal, we'll start building a financial system that is open and honest and stable and serves the real economy rather than the phony economy of high finance. And then the fourth pillar, a functioning democracy. We won't get these vital reforms without a fourth and final set of reforms to give us a real functioning democracy. Just as we are replacing the old economy with a new one, We need a new politics to restore the promise of American democracy. The New Green Deal will revoke corporate personhood by amending our Constitution to make it clear that corporations are not persons and money is not speech. Those rights belong to the living, breathing human beings, not to business entities controlled by the wealthy. And to protect our right to vote by supporting Reverend Jesse Jackson Jr.'s proposed right to vote amendment to clarify to the Supreme Court that, yes, we do have a constitutional right to vote protect local democracy and democratic rights by commissioning a thorough review of the federal preemption law and its impact on the practice of local democracy in the United States. Create a corporation for economic democracy, a new federal corporation like the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, to provide publicity, training, education, and direct financing for cooperative development and for democratic reforms to make government agencies, private associations, and business enterprises more participatory. And then strengthen the media democracy by expanding federal support for locally owned broadcast media and local print media. And then protect our personal liability and freedoms by repealing the Patriot Act and those parts of the National Defense Authorization Act that violate our civil liberties. And finally, to rein in the military-industrial complex by reducing military spending by 50% and closing 
military bases around the world, restoring the National Guard as a centerpiece of our system of national defense, creating a new round of nuclear disarmament initiatives. So that's an overview of the Green New Deal, and I encourage you to get more familiar with it, being discussed by newly elected members in Congress now. And again, you can get more at gpus.org. Forget to check out my other radio program on KUBU, Making Tracks, focusing on wildlife, nature, and environmental issues every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m., right after the Climate Report. And be sure to tune in Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for Radio EcoShock and the latest on science, issues, and authors dealing with climate change and the environment on a global scale. Hosted and produced by Alex Smith. Don't miss it. You're listening to KUBU, Low Power FM Radio in Sacramento. This is The Voice, The Voice of Sacramento. You can find KUB locally at 96.5 on your FM dial, or you can also listen to the station on the internet, accesssacramento.org. This program is The Climate Report, and I'm your host, Dale Steele, drawn weekly at this day and time. The program is brought to you by 350 Sacramento, a local climate action group inspired by 350.org. I'll be your host, and each program will provide you with local, regional, and national news about climate change, as well as local calendar events, interviews, and more. For more details, including past radio programs, or if you have questions or comments, please visit 350sacramento.org. There may be hope, maybe even for us. We need a lot more people raising a ruckus, start making a fuss, start giving a... Get out into the streets and there may be hope.